The Start On Demand. On demand. A new poll from Ipsos shows 78% of Canadians are concerned that inflation will make everyday items less affordable. How concerned are you? One in eight, one in eight people are experiencing hunger or food insecurity. We learn why the Salvation Army's kettle campaign this year needs your help now more than ever. Stress in the workplace is hindering mental well-being at exceptional rates. We learn more from the LifeWorks Mental Health Index. And Black Friday is tomorrow. It's going to have some big lineups. So we had a lot of fun this morning talking about what sort of stuff have you stood in line for? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, November 25th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Greg, how are you feeling today? Oh, come on. Uh, <laughs> sullen, morose, a uh, little downtrodden. Uh, when your hockey team has lost three games in a row in regulation and then had another one in a shootout, yeah, it's not a lot of fun. Uh, was speaking to Cam Poitras uh, before we came on the air, and the difference a week will make in the life of a sports franchise or team is absolutely incredible. I think a lot of Jets fans were looking at those back-to-back games against Edmonton as two of the best games this team has played in the 10 years it's been back in Winnipeg. And then now we have losses to Vancouver, to Pittsburgh, and last night a shutout loss in Columbus. And bleh, feeling a little rough today, feeling a little sorry for myself as a Jets fan. <laughs> their, their penalty kill can't stop anything. Their power play can't score. And overall, they're just, they're just snake-bitten, rent. And there's a ton of disgruntled fans out there. And I don't want to use social media as a barometer. But uh, we went to the movies with the kids last night. And so we missed most of the Jets game. And we get out. We turn on the play-by-play on CJOB. And you're listening to the post-game show. And we were maybe 10 seconds in. And I said, do I gather from the tone of the voices here that we lost this game? Because I didn't want to, you know, you're just listening and just sort of a bit more muted and not as pumped up. And so I went online. And and just all sorts of people upset about the lines. Changes need to be made. they got to shuffle it up. Do something different of course people immediately start calling for someone's head mm-hmm. you know once you get a few few slump few uh losses in and this well, is the, a slump this is a slump i was just right. gonna this say is not, yeah. this is not it's not a couple losses this is a slump something's not going right and you can talk about you know it makes you have all the all the cliches that come up in sports like well we're not getting the bounces or we're just not getting the luck or we're not getting the breaks but that can be a line for a couple of games. You go, you go this deep in, and people are starting to be concerned. And I try to take it all with a grain of salt. It is just hockey, after all. No, no, no offense. But <laughs> haven't you seen, haven't you seen the T-shirt? Hockey is life. Yeah, yeah well, don't, we are. Don't you I, watch Ted Lasso? Football is life. Football is life. Come yes, on. I know Danny. I know Danny. Football is life. But here we are. So I think there are conversations to be had about you know what 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 do you do next? But we're not in the what do you do next category. We just get to talk about it. But, we, you know, what what is the to do next for this team, Greg? 
I wish I knew because, uh, you know, I enjoy spending mornings with you. But win? if I had these answers, uh, it might be, well, a Scores win would be great. So tomorrow afternoon, they go into Minnesota. Today is, of course, a U.S. Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving to any of our American friends who might be tuning in this morning or Americans living here in Canada. Or maybe you just really like National Football League football and three games today. Eh, you've taken, maybe decided to book the day off. Uh, however you're celebrating. Listen, uh, tomorrow afternoon, Minnesota, that crowd will be rowdy, rambunctious. You've been in that arena before, Loren. You know how Americans celebrate Thanksgiving. I was in Anaheim two years ago on the Friday afternoon for Jets, Ducks in Anaheim. And, uh, you know, it's a four-day holiday weekend, and it's sort of a party for for Americans over the next three, four days. So the Jets need to get back on track, and it's not going to be easy as they play the Wild, who are uh, playing very well, very well at home. And then they have to play in Calgary Saturday night. Uh, three games, three and four nights, three different time zones, and uh, two of the top teams in the Western Conference are uh, part of that menu, so to speak, Brett. What movie did you see, Loren? We went to Ghostbusters, despite your... Um, you, you, you're the one that was... You were Braun that just watched it this week. Uh, I, I'm not sure if Jeff watched it, but I watched it on Monday. I liked it. Yeah. Like, I know you just didn't give it... You liked it. You just didn't love it. And that, I think, was maybe the consensus, unless I'm remembering that wrong. No, that's, I almost, that's correct. Yeah. I was almost called you on the way in because we were taking the kids. But then we got to the theater, and it had this option, which I didn't know about because, I, you know, you just haven't been going out as much <laughs> lately, with the seats that move. Yeah. Which was a pricier option, but it's the kids. Oh, the, uh, the, the D box. The D box. Yeah. The seats that move and vibrate with different noises. And the guy said, actually, this is a pretty decent call for Ghostbusters. And we had these gift cards we were using. And, and, uh, I screamed out loud like <laughs> 10 times, ah, mostly because my chair just kept moving, like when the ghosts would come. Yeah. Uh, but I enjoyed it. It was cheesy. Like it, it went, you know, exactly the way you'd expect it to go. But we all had a good time and we laughed at different parts. And, uh, the kids were laughing at me because of my jumping out of my seat thing. And it was good. And the popcorn left multiple stains in my sweater. So just, oh. you know, all in all, a great expensive night. Is that sweater a loss? Mm, I'm going to give it a, I, I got some tricks I like to try that make me proud, you know, when you mix different things together and then you let it soak and then you do something else. And <laughs> then when it comes out, you're like, oh, I'm a genius. And then the next time it doesn't work. So I'll let you know tomorrow. Are okay. you an alchemist, uh, Loren? <laughs> no, my mother-in-law gave me like a little thing once and I, it's a mixture of, you know, your detergent soap. And your Dawn and a little oh, bit of this Norwex Blue stuff. Dawn. And it's a little bit of water and a little soap magic. and you fold she folds it and I don't know if the folding has anything to do with it, but somehow in that magical fold, somehow things come better. So I don't know. I'll give it a shot. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I love hacks like that. Like when someone gives you a hack, even if it doesn't work, I'm like, I'll give that a go. If it's already a loss. Might as well try. You should get on uh, the TikTok then, because that's apparent my understanding of TikTok is half of it is just hacks. Is really? like life hacks and all sorts of. You can I learn it was all. Just people dancing in videos together with their husbands and children. I think that's the other half. Mm. It's uh, people, either people dancing or people uh, lip syncing various movie quotes or songs or whatever. Um, but uh, lots and lots of life hacks on TikTok. Although one of my favorite Instagram accounts, I can't remember the, the guy's name, but he basically makes fun of all of these so-called life hacks. He points oh. out much easier ways to do things than these so-called hacks. But Greg, what do you got there in your hand? Well, uh, this is... Uh an Instagram account out of Calgary, Go Clean Co. 
And uh, it was a it was a friend of mine from Calgary who was in this summer who told Jackie and I to follow this woman uh, from Calgary on Instagram, and her hacks are absolutely terrific. Hmm. So check it out. It's called Go Clean Co. Two point two million followers out of Calgary. Not too bad. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Just a heads up that uh, our text line appears to be a little wonky this morning. So if you have sent us a text message, we may or may not have received it. So feel free to test it out, 204-780-6868, because in our next segment, we are going to tell you how you can win tickets for the CFL's Western Final based on your text messages at that number. So we'll give you those details in our next segment. And then, uh, Loren, after Global News at 7 o'clock, we're going to have an, uh, an important chat with something we're gonna, that actually ties in with what we're talking about right now uh, because it was just a few months ago that we started hearing about concerns over rising costs for food, gas, and other goods. Yeah, and I think some economists predicted it would be short-lived, but then in September and then again in October, Canada's year-over-year inflation rate reached highs not seen in almost 20 years, and that has many of us very concerned. And so you referenced the conversation we're going to have at 7. Well, throughout the day, you're going to hear us talking about fundraising efforts for the Salvation Army and where those dollars go crucial dollars to help people in our community because there are a growing number of people who are living with food insecurities or worried they just can't feed their families, Greg. And now we have a new poll out by Ipsos just this morning that actually shows 78% of Canadians are worried inflation will make things less affordable. And 81%, that rises to 81% in Manitoba and Saskatchewan with people worried about just how much cost could go up and what that will do to just our our bottom line. And not to bombard you with numbers, but that same poll found 44% of Canadians admit they're concerned they might not have enough money to feed their family. And that worry rises to 60% for anyone with kids under 18. And I've got to tell you, that gets my radar up when people start talking about their concern for their ability to provide the basics, the essentials of life versus, oh, this uh, put off your purchase of a new car or a vacation. That's that's not a, even part of this conversation. We're talking about people being concerned to make their everyday obligations and to provide, as I say, Loren, the necessities of life for their kids. I was saying just the other day, I went shopping, uh, went to get just a couple things from a store. Often, you know, that ends up from, you know, you have a list of three things and it ends up being 10 things, right? So you just go in and you, and you might grab things that you don't necessarily need in that moment, but it might be a good deal or you think, I'll get this now so I don't have to worry about it later. Like, you know, basics like chicken breast or, or lettuce or that kind of thing. And I have to tell you, there was at least three or four items, um, largely in the meat department, that I would I was going to stock up the freezer with. And I thought, nah, never mind. I must have something in the freezer I can cook that will replace that. Because everything just seemed to be a bit more. And even just some of the basics, you know, when you go to buy a big uh, crate of soup or things that you like to just to have in your cupboard just to get you through some of those days where you're not feeling like cooking or maybe just days things are, are more affordable. And it all just felt like it was adding up to a lot. So I walked out for the very first time in a long time with exactly what I went in for mm. as opposed to those little extras that I might have got along the way. And I'm someone right now, in being honest, that's in a position where I, I don't worry about that as much as other Canadians might. And now I'm starting to look at it and think, if this goes on, 
you know, where will where will we have to make cuts? How will that have to work? Let alone the families, because the concern really jumps in that Ipsos poll for those who might be making less than forty thousand dollars a year, uh, and and where money's already stretched thin. This could be a different maker here. I don't know what you're noticing, Brett, when you're out there or where you're keeping your eye on. For me, it's for sure food. Food is way up right now. And we obviously with two growing kids, uh, that's the number one cost. But I had a romaine lettuce yesterday and it cost $3.99. And that struck me as expensive. I think even when it used to be like $2.99, I thought, eh, that seemed a little a little pricier than usual. So when, it, when I rang it up, I thought, oh, boy, that's a bit more than I'm used to paying. But I mean, I... I wasn't going to turn it away because it costs an extra dollar, but it's just those little things. They they do add up, and I think sometimes, and I'm especially bad for this with the it's the little things. Ah, it's an extra dollar here, extra dollar there, but it does add up. And when I think about the fact that my rent goes up every year, um, and that with the price of everything going up, even though we might get a raise at work, it it, it almost and it almost ends up being. For not GMAC. Yeah, well, and I'm just wondering if over the last couple of years during the pandemic, look at what gasoline prices have done from around 85 cents a liter going by memory. Now a dollar 35. I always worry when it goes down two cents. It went down two cents yeah. earlier this week. It's like, oh boy, it's like the jackrabbit start. Are they pushing <laughs> it back in order to push it forward? So, you know, the change in gas prices has been astronomical. And then you combine that with the fact, Lorraine, a lot of people have been working from home. A lot of people haven't been having to fill their gas tanks as mm-hmm. regularly. And so you're also maybe not paying attention to the the pricing of everything because maybe there's been that attitude over the last, uh, you know, 18 months or so. You know, we're in a pandemic. I'm going to treat myself. And so I'm not going to really worry about it. Well, I've really noticed it at restaurants as well. The price of stuff has gone up and it's creeped up. And now all of a sudden it's to the point where you're, you're having to, to mind your, your, your dollars and cents. You make a good point about how did you spend in the pandemic? And I know it's different for everyone. There's lots of people who lost their jobs and really had to cut back. There are people who had working from home. And so that changed what they might be spending, as you say, on gas or parking or other things. And then we all just couldn't do as much, right? And so you might have parked your dollars elsewhere. And now that life's slowly returning back to normal, I find myself quite often going, whoa, what did I spend this month? Because we weren't spending that six months ago just because mm-hmm. we couldn't on anything from, you know, running the kids around to different activities to um, going out to, to different places. You couldn't do some things. And now suddenly you look at it and you think, I need to I need to make some changes because what I was doing and how I was parking my dollar six months ago doesn't work for me now. So the question of the day at CJOB.com is for credit aid struggling with debt. Call 204-987-6890, creditaid.ca. An Ipsos poll shows 78% of Canadians are concerned inflation will make everyday items less affordable. How concerned are you? Extremely, somewhat, or not concerned? Cast your vote, cjob.com. We'll throw that up on Twitter as well, at 680CJOB. And after 7 o'clock, we will speak to the Salvation Army because today on 680CJOB on Power 97 and Peggy at 99.1, it is the Giving Hope Radiothon in support of the Salvation Army. And to make a donation... You can call 204-975-1033, that's 975-1033, or online, salvationarmy.ca slash givinghoperadiothon. Doesn't matter if it's the Forks or the airport, it's cold. 
It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We have tickets for the Western Final, December 5th, to give away. And the question that we're going to ask today at 204-780-6868 has to do with standing in line. Tomorrow is Black Friday, so you can bet that there will be people lined up for things all over the continent. But... We want to ask you what about the stuff that you've stood in line for. It doesn't necessarily have to be retail. Like I was standing in line at the convention center on New Year's Eve for a drink, and I missed the countdown. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so I, instead of, you know, celebrating with my friends, I just stood there alone as I watched the bartenders all stop what they were doing to give each other hugs and high fives, etc. So, yeah. Anyway, tell us a story for a chance to win the tickets. Let's go around the horn here. Mr. Poitras, do I see you in the news booth there in I'm the here. dark? Okay, can you there see you me? I'm I here. can see you. Uh, yeah, well, I'd have to go to Magic Kingdom, Florida, Disney World, the Seven Dwarves Mine Guard Train uh, Roller Coaster. Uh, it was one of those situations where you walk in and it says, oh, 45 minutes, I can I can deal with that. That's like a, a snap of a time in Disney World. Uh, but uh, no, then all of a sudden it goes to like two and a half hours for what ends up being about a two-minute roller coaster <laughs> ride, which is, you know, cool animatronics and stuff like that. Uh, but you know, right when you get to the end, it's like you 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 start moving into desperation mode. Like you, you're like, I just need to get out of here. Like I've gone through all of this. Um, and, uh, I, I was, they, they cut me off. I was the last person on the, anyway, so they, they take certain, they take people, they go put them on the cart and you go off on the roller coaster. Well, I was that last person that was cut off and I just screamed, no. <laughs> and then as I go up and everybody, I think I'd made some people laugh, but I was, I wasn't trying to be funny. And so as you get in the roller coaster and this lady, after waiting all this time, they, she goes, well, you know, it's uh, you know, it goes a little fast and you know, people can get sick. I can't do it. I, I, I got to get out of here. I can't, I, I can't go on this roller coaster. And she leaves. I'm like, you just spent two and a half hours waiting for this ride. I know it's going to stink. It can never live up to expectations after that, which it was, it was like a good ride if you can go on it in 30 minutes. But like, I, I couldn't believe it. She just, she walked out. It was, it was shocking. So did you end up getting on the ride? Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> was it worth it? No. <laughs> but it was it was like they had cool animatronics they like the seven dwarves and they were all kind of like like it was it was it, that part was cool but it wasn't it was certainly wasn't worth the two and a half hours but that woman I couldn't believe it like what a waste of time you're spending money to be here Jeff Braun uh, I once waited three hours in line for the Back to the Future ride at Universal Studios in California and that was very much worth it because well for starters that ride was like 15 or 20 minutes long it took a while to do it and it was a lot of fun and it was it was the lineup situation was one of those things where you'd wait in line for an hour and then go through a door thinking you were there only to be in another giant room with another hour long wait and you do that a couple of times and it, it was a thing where you get to the point of no return it's like well we've already invested this much time now we might as well just wait no matter how long it takes but luckily that one was worth it Excellent. That is a long time to wait. Amusement parks. I oh, I think when I went to Cedar Point in Sandusky, Ohio, I calculated that I stood in line for eight hours that day for approximately 15 minutes of ride time. So <laughs> Sounds like an NFL football game. Eight hours, first 15 minutes of action. True. Good point. Uh, what about you, Jeff Forte? Uh, you know what? I think that life is too short for long lines. I don't like lines. Screw lines. And uh, I, I say that because the other day we were talking about uh, what we'd like to see come back. And I said I'd like to see the Eaton's Christmas display come back. And I yep. said that 
I went and saw Santa at Portage Place, not at Eaton's. And it turns out I went there instead of uh, went to Portage Place instead of Eaton's because my mom did not want to wait in line at Eaton's. The line was too long. <laughs> Life is too short. So I do not blame my mom. I take after her and boom, there you go. No lineups. Mama Forte, the brains of the operation. <laughs> yeah, why wait in line when you go see a Santa, you know, like two minutes away and no line? Well, the Eaton's one was so cool, though. Back! <laughs> Did you bah just humbug? Humbug, bah humbug. Bah humbug. Uh, Loren, what about you? I'm kind of with Forte, but it's it's not just because life is too short. It's my patience is too short. I'm that person that could be at a Jets game or, you know, waiting for the washroom and start thinking of other alternatives. Like, what's the other alternative? You know, you have to go. You got to stand in that line. I've been in a customs line in England waiting to get into the country there. This is about a decade ago. It was about three hours of a wait. And I was sitting the whole time. I'm thinking, it's got to be some other way in this country. Like, what was my plan? Like, getting in a trunk, hiding in a suitcase? making a run for it like i start to get really really crazy i'm at the border you're waiting in the line you i have been at a line at the border on 75 and it was a long wait to get in Mm -hmm. and we were trying to get to minneapolis that we did the turkey trail over to 59 and went in that way even though it just took as much time to take the detour as it did to sit in line you were moving i don't like lines i was moving i i this this is why i like the zipper merge if i can bring it back around (laughs) to that because then you're always moving lines are dumb they are dumb. Mackling, what about you? Well, I'm just thinking back. I think it was a couple of days ago, one of our listeners pointed out, reminded us about the Jets tickets at 7-Eleven and McDonald's. And so I didn't often wait in line for Jets tickets, but back in 1984-85, the Jets were on an incredible run down the stretch. They ended up finishing fourth overall in the National Hockey League, second in the Smythe Division to Edmonton. They uh, eventually won 10 of their last 13 games and tied the other three. And it was the end of March, March 31st. I had to go to the Almanac here. Calgary Flames came to town. I had raked leaves at my aunt's house the day before to earn the $12 for the ticket and got there as early as I could in the morning to get a standing room only ticket. Ended up with a single seat. Didn't have to stand for the game and almost missed the tying goal because I needed to go to the bathroom uh, but I did not. Uh, I did not resent or regret standing in line. Met a bunch of really nice uh, people, Jets fans. The old, do you remember the McDonald's across the street from the stadium? I went over there for for breakfast after I secured my ticket, and uh, one of the great lineup experiences of of my lifetime. The Jets uh, ended up beating the Flames in the playoffs, but lost to the Oilers when Dale Howard Chuck's ribs got broken. Anyway, that's oh it. It's all about the Jets. Oh wow. Okay. And for me, the, when I think about the lineup, I, I just can't help but think of all the time I've spent waiting in line, specifically in the winter without a jacket on to get into various nightclubs in my uh, 18 to 20-ish years. So stupid. Minus 25, minus 30, standing out there in a short sleeve shirt. And uh, to all the women out there, I don't know how they did it. Because half of them were wearing just like either skirts or short dresses and high heels, and I think were we were we like brave or just stupid, Loren? What would you think? 
Oh, you don't want my opinion here. We were intent. Yeah. We were intent. We had a purpose, Brett. Intent. I like it. You know, not once when I did that was it ever worth it. It's true. There not you go. Once. Not it really once. Name a time where it was worth it. Oh. Someone. Anyone. Oh, you guys missed out. Oh, no. I didn't miss nothing. <laughs> 204. I think you missed something. 204 780 What have you stood in line for? Tell us a story for a chance to win. Tickets for the CFL's Western Final will pick a winner just after 9.15. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for your story so far on Waiting in Line. We will share some of those with you in our next segment for a chance to win tickets for the CFL's Western final, but right now we want to have an important conversation about how a growing number of Canadians are worried about where they're going to get their next meal from, which is why groups like the Salvation Army are really hoping Manitobans give big this year. The annual kettle campaign will bring kettles to nearly 2,000 locations across the country, and throughout the day here on CJOB, you're going to hear some special programming related to that. The immediate goal is to provide critical services. Loren, the long-term goal, put an end to poverty. Major Al Heft is with the Salvation Army and our guest this morning. Good morning, Major Heft. Good morning. We were just sharing in our last half hour just the growing concern among all Canadians when it comes to just feeding their families. And I know the Salvation Army works often with people who are experiencing that food insecurity. One in eight Canadians worried about putting food on their plate. What does that mean to you? What are you hearing from the people you're trying to help when it comes to just providing the basics? Well, certainly that's that's really accurate. We've really discovered, especially in the last couple of years, uh, an increase in that. And people are really struggling uh, through this time of the pandemic. But also, you know, there was a lot going on even before that. And we've noticed a lot of families who are struggling on a regular basis, month to month, just to continue to put food on the table. And, uh, you know, so it's really important for us as a community to remember that we have a responsibility and an obligation and, and an opportunity, really, to support those in our community who are in need of support this season. So when I donate to the Kettle Campaign, like I was at Polo Park uh, Shopping Mall yeah. the other day, and I saw the Kettle Campaign, so I, I had five bucks in my wallet, so I dropped it in. Um, but where does that money go? Well, that goes right here in the city, and it's going to stay to be able to support all the programs that the Salvation Army is running, and, and that it deals with food insecurity, but it also deals with some of the other things that we're dealing with on a regular basis, and programs that we provide for families and individuals, all the way from shelter to ongoing supports for, for families. And those are just so important, because, you know, when you're giving a little bit of money, you know, for us, it's a it's a little drop in the bucket, and then, you know, you're thinking about Black Friday tomorrow, and, uh, you know, people going out and standing in line, well... Can you imagine standing in line to have to get food, um, you know, from a from a food pantry or some sort of support like that? You know, when we give our money, when we support those in our community this way, we're not just giving them a little bit of a hand up. We're giving them some food, yeah, but we're giving them some warmth. We're giving them joy. We're giving them care, love, but we're giving them hope. And uh, as a community, we have an opportunity to uh, to really instill that in one another and to build for a better and stronger future together. Major Heft, there are several ways to give, obviously monetarily is one way, but also your time. Volunteering is such a terrific way to give back to organizations such as yours. Are you having a challenge in terms of recruiting volunteers? 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, again, it comes back to a lot of people are a little bit hesitant to be out in public or a little bit hesitant to be in a place where they're, you know, feeling that they might be at risk. And uh, and so right now we're, we're really we are struggling to get some volunteers. And we understand that that was going to be a problem as we headed into this season. But, you know, certainly if people are interested, they can definitely uh, you know find a way to contribute that way as well. Uh, they can go online to salvationarmy.ca slash volunteers and check that out. They could even call our office at uh, 204-975-1033 and, uh, and say, yeah, I'd like to volunteer. How do I do that? What would those volunteer shifts look like? Is it about just getting out there and helping raising the money for the Kettle Campaign, Al? Or is there other ways to, to give back as a volunteer? Well, right now, certainly the the one that we're really looking for and the, the challenge that we're having is to make sure we have volunteers on those kettles. And uh, so those are usually, you know, a two-hour volunteer shift and uh, and an opportunity to, you know, to be there to, to welcome people to the kettle, to thank them for their support, to remind everybody that, uh, you know, it is a, an opportunity for us as a community to share together. Can I ask a quick follow-up question, if you don't mind, Al, just about the idea yeah. that we started at, this, at the beginning of this? I mean, like, here we are, 2021, and I know it's been an incredibly challenging couple of years for so many Canadians, but it's, it sounds to me like you and, and others who work with more vulnerable Canadians are seeing a growing need out there. Like, we're, we're, not, we're not beating this thing. The idea of ending poverty for good, does it feel increasingly like a really lofty goal? Is it attainable right now, given where we're sitting? Well, you're right. It does feel sometimes like we're uh, we're pushing it up the hill on all the time. But you know, the reality is, we really do believe that this is something that we can do, and we continue to work at it, and we continue to find ways to be creative. We we don't want to see an increase in this kind of business. We we want to see a decrease. We want to see the need decrease year on year, uh, and we continue to work toward that. And that that means all of us coming together to support one another. But you know, obviously, those those things involve opportunities for people and you know getting people back into the workforce and you know we're starting to see that but uh you know as we continue that forward uh as we come through the pandemic you know our hope is that that'll continue and we'll start to see a a rebound on that major al heft with the salvation army joining us live on 680 cjob thank you so much for the time we very much appreciate it Thanks for supporting us and helping us get our message out there. And once again today on 680 CJOB on Power 97 and Peggy at 99.1, it is the Giving Hope Radiothon in support of the Salvation Army. To make a donation, you can call 204-975-1033. That's 975-1033. Or go online to salvationarmy.ca slash Radiothon. And this afternoon, you'll hear uh, we spoke to some uh, more members of the Salvation Army, and we spoke to some family members and people who have needed the Salvation Army's help. Some really inspiring stories that you'll hear throughout the day on 680 CJOB. So again, 975-1033, or you can also go to our website, cjob.com, to find more information there on how you can help. Mackling McGarry McNabb, what kind of stuff have you stood in line for? Got any stories about standing in line waiting because Black Friday's tomorrow, so there are probably going to be some people waiting in line to get a good deal on something, but GMAC Jordan with a great story. I can't remember specifically which video game it was, but I know we stood in line for about six hours for it. It was either NHL 2009 or 2011, and the release was at midnight, 
So we ended up playing street hockey right in, out in front of EB Games in Red Deer, Alberta. We knew who was the number in line by putting uh, the number on the back of their shirt with a piece of paper, a Sharpie, and used electrical tape uh, to tape uh, the number to their jacket. I have absolutely zero patience, <laughs> but for whatever reason, I stood in line for that damn game. Wow. No, like People will never, you know, it's so different now, right? Because a lot of the games are online, so you just have to come home and download it or pay for it. Concert tickets, you don't stand in line like you used mm-hmm. to. And have to, you know, have to, like the new Apple, do people still stand in line for new phones, Brett? I'm uh, guessing, yeah. I don't Maybe? know. I I don't actually know. I have, it's been so long since I've been like I've, I was just at the mall the other day. I think for the first time, and I don't remember the last time I was actually at a shopping mall. So I don't know. I I hope they're not waiting in line to get the new phone. And yeah, that's uh, because that would just make me you know upset that people would wait in line for an Apple product. Hey Oh, Oh, right. You're Samsung. Okay. This next text, apparently Greg is supposed to read it. Is this correct? Well, it's just, this is close to my heart. Uh, standing in line. This is a local story. Back in the day, the bars were required to close between 6.30 and 7 p.m. We went to the Black Knight to see Kickax. <laughs> The band was very popular, so I had to get there early to get a table. Waiting in line in the foyer at 6.30, we found a way to tolerate the line. Went around the back of the hotel to the vendor and brought back a box of beer, which, of course, we shared. Sure Thank you, you to Grant and or Deborah for that story. Ah, kickaxe at the Black Knight. Okay, what's this about having to close between 6.30 and 7? I don't know seven? anything about that. Okay. I don't remember that whatsoever. Yeah, like so. Would if would if you were in line for something, or if you got into the bar before six thirty, do they punch you out? Until Maybe 7 it was o'clock? because this was a special event. I don't know. I need details. We do need details. Liquor law expert, please. But text us a story about waiting in line for a chance to win bomber tickets for the Western Final. We'll pick a winner just after nine fifteen. <laughs> The Small Town Salute, and we really wanted to find a place to talk curling today. And quite frankly, our options for where in the program we could do that were limited by other content we have planned. So just bear with us as we justify our topic. And I have sort of one eye open, one eye closed as I look around the corner saying curling is popular in cities and small towns right across Canada and Manitoba. That's not enough. Three out of the top uh, four teams in the standings at the Olympic Curling Trials are from Manitoba, and two of those three rinks are based at curling clubs outside the Perimeter Highway. Small towns. Are we stretching the subject matter and qualifications for our small town salute today? You betcha we are. The host (laughs) of the CGOB Sports Show joins us now, and Christian O'Mell, to really stretch the thread. You are from a place many would consider to be a small town in Ontario, no? Tara has a thousand people, so I'm guessing that qualifies for a small town salute. There we right? go. So small town salute to Tara, Ontario today. There we there go. We go. Yes. Done. <laughs> Christian, we often talk about the the hockey rink and uh, what it means to small town Canada, but the curling rink plays such a huge role for many people who grew up, uh, whether it's rural Manitoba or rural Ontario. Absolutely, and I know that over the last year and a half with COVID, it definitely hurt a lot of these curling clubs, right? Because they're they're one one of the, if not the, social spot in town for a lot of these places, right? And you go to curl, but you're going as much, if not more, to hang out after the match or just to go watch people play, have a drink or two or more than that. And the 
the reality is it's not th- it's not thriving right now. Uh, I, I know that I'm back curling again for the first time in four years because I missed it so much. Uh, it's hard to curl when you host a weeknight show, and most of the leagues are weeknights. But I found a way to, and I know a lot of people are, are happy to be back at the rink, whether they're in Winnipeg or any other part of Canada. Now, Tracy Fleury, who is the top-ranked women's curling team on the planet, they're the only undefeated team left in either men's or women's competition at the trials at 5-0. and They curl out of East St. Paul. Just how good are they? They're very good. Tracy Fleury's been outstanding in this tournament so far. She had a bit of a, a rocky game yesterday afternoon, but still pulled it out against uh, Jacqueline Harrison, scored uh, three and an extra end to win that one. Uh, it's kind of sneaky, right, because... Carrie Anderson's won the last two Scotties. Jennifer Jones is an all-timer as far as, and they're, you know, they're in this playoff race as well. Jones is five and one. Anderson's three and three, and we'll get to her. But Flurry's five and zero, oh, and she's, you know, she comes in, she takes over basically Anderson's old rink, and they've been awesome. Uh, and Flurry is from Sudbury, still lives there, but the rest of the team is is from Manitoba, and you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to have one import, and. This doesn't mean they're going to represent Canada, but at five and zero, they've been. Uh, they've she's been up until their game against Harrison yesterday, where she was kind of iffy. She was like almost ten percent better than like any other skip in the in the draw. She's been just playing so calm and so precise, and her team in front of her, Liz Fife especially, has been playing amazing. So uh, shout out to them, and we'll see if they can continue it. Yeah, East St. Paul, that's our curling club. That's where my boys curl out of, so shout out to ESP. And uh, the two-time defending Canadian champions, Carrie Anderson, their rink, they are out of the Gimli Curling Club at 3-3. Three and three. You mentioned, you know, they're tied for third with Krista McCarvel. What do they need to do to guarantee themselves a playoff spot? Because I believe Christian McCarvel has the tiebreaker because they beat Anderson in the round robin. Would that be accurate? Yeah, they beat them yesterday, 6-5. So that means, normally I believe they just get, they always do tiebreakers, but I heard on the broadcast yesterday that McCarville will have the edge. So what Anderson has to do, first of all, is win out, right? She's got to win the rest of her games. She does not play in the morning draw at 9 a.m. And then tonight she takes on, uh, team Rachel Homan, who is one and four and really struggling. Rachel Homan, the defending trials champ, is not going to be Canada's representative this year. And then also takes on Kelsey Rock, who's one and four. So she's got two teams left at the bottom of the, the standings. You know, Rachel Homan is has never one that should be taken lightly, but definitely an opportunity there for her to win out. And uh, Krista McCarvel also has, uh, uh, well, she has the the last draw off, so she'll have her hers in the book. So Anderson will know exactly what she has to do going into that final draw if she wants to uh, move on to the playoff round where it looks like Tracy Fleury and Jennifer Jones will probably be. All right. Yeah, I was I was just wanting to mention Jones quickly because I know we weren't because she's <laughs> curls inside Winnipeg and we've, we've twisted this into our small town salute, but she's been looking pretty good this yeah. week. Just one loss for her. Yeah, and it was a crazy right. loss to, to Carrie Anderson the other night where Jones gives up steals of two in the first, second, and third. And I'm feeling like, oh, that's what I do when I, when I skipped at the curling club. But then... <laughs> Jones rallies to actually take the lead going to 10, which is not what I do. And then uh, Anderson ends up winning it in 10-9 and 10 ends. One of the craziest, sloppiest, enter- most entertaining curling matches I've ever seen. It was something else. And, of course, we'll keep an eye on Mike McEwen as well, who happens to curl out of West St. Paul Curling Club. Christian, thanks for this. We appreciate it. Uh, the curling has been exceptional this week, probably only going to get better as we head towards the weekend. Thanks, my friend. 
No problem, guys. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Premier Heather Stephenson joins us live at 8.35 on 680 CJOB. But for this half hour, we want to start by asking the question, has your relationship with your co-workers or your boss deteriorated over the last 20 months? A growing number of Canadians are sharing their struggles this morning in a new mental health index put out by LifeWorks pre-pandemic. 20% said work was hurting their mental health. Today, that number is closer to 25%. Younger Canadians and those with kids, Loren, were even more likely to be in crisis. And they're also seeing an uptick in that first question Brett just asked, people who might be struggling with relationships with their colleagues or, or their manager. And so we're joined now by Paula Allen, the Global Leader and Senior Vice President for Research and Total Wellbeing at LifeWorks. Hi, Paula. Hello, good morning. Well, we've been talking about this often over the past 20 months, and and we know major stress is a concern in in many workplaces. I'm curious for you, when you look at this index this month, what's different with what you're hearing now compared to even just a few months ago? Well, I think we're getting a little bit deeper into some of the the things that we had seen. Last month, we saw that people were uh, not having that sense of belonging with their workplace like they did before. Uh, So that sense of connection, that sense you're a part of something, and that was impacting their work productivity in a pretty significant way. So more specifically now, we looked at relationships, and as was noted before, both the relationships between employees and managers and relationships between work peers has deteriorated. We just don't have as many positive interactions as we did before. So for as much as some people, Paula, might be enjoying the autonomy, the flexibility of working from home, it's potentially having a, an unsuspected toll on their mental well-being. Is that a possibility here? Absolutely. I mean, and, and there are many positives around uh, working from home, but there are, almost everything has some unintended consequence, positive or negative. And one of the big ones that we need to be very concerned about is this lack of connection. So when we're working from home, we're very efficient. We just do our jobs. We do our tasks. We connect when we need to. We're in and out of, of situations. But then we don't build up anything positive. You know, we, you know, the, the relationships that we have and the interactions that we have are categorized in two, 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 two areas, positive or not positive. So it doesn't have to be negative in order to really detract from that relationship. We just need to have some more shared experiences. We need to work more on our connection with each other because it's not happening as naturally as it did. So as far as this mental health index goes, then what is it showing when it comes to the, those relationships with our bosses and our coworkers on this? What is it showing on this downturn that people are feeling? It is showing that downturn. It is showing that it is a risk that we need to manage. And it is actually also contributing negatively to people's mental health as well as their sense of isolation. We're very, very social beings. Like even if you're an introvert, you, you need other people. Other people give you that sense of being a part of something, give you that sense of social support. And when you don't have that, And as I said, you don't have to be in a negative situation, but when you have less of that kind of connection and social support, it's damaging 
it's stressful. It makes us less able to feel resilient. So this is the big takeaway that as we're going through this new world, we have to figure out different ways to get connected because it is damaging us. What should an employer do with this information? And, you know, because it's not just the working from home and the isolation. There's people who have to go into work every day who are now dealing with other stresses. And an increasingly stressed out public might mean their clients are are behaving differently or the customers in the grocery store. And there's all sorts of ways stress can present itself. So, I mean, you know, like there's not a bottomless pit for therapy or for people to reach out. And we know there's a waiting list for psychologists. So if you're an employer, like a boss right now listening to this, what's your advice to them? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, what the first point is that you're absolutely right. When people are feeling overwhelmed, you know, professional help is important, but that's not the only thing that helps our mental well-being. It's our environment, it's our connections, it's the, the culture of well-being in, in, your, in your workplace. And I think the thing that really has made a, a big difference is when people feel empathy. Uh, you mentioned people going into the the work site, and you're very correct, actually, that the general public is more on edge and, and interactions are more likely to be negative. When you have that and you feel supported by your colleagues and you're supported by your organization and you feel supported by your manager in terms of how those things should be de- dealt with and drawing a line in terms of when it's too much, that's extremely helpful. And just overall, you know, for people who are coming into a workplace and those who are working from home, we have to pause. We have to realize that our work productivity, our sense of belonging, our mental health needs investment. So the time that we spend with each other just can't be around tasks. We have to build in time during a day where we are actually connecting in a, in a non-task sort of way and also build in some shared experience, whether it's virtually or we have some moments that matter where we do come together. Paula Allen is the global leader and senior vice president for research and total well-being at LifeWorks, joining us live on 680 CJOB to discuss the mental health index. Paula, thank you very much for this. A pleasure. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. And it has been a busy week for Manitoba's Premier. On Tuesday, there was the throne speech. Yesterday morning, an announcement they were repealing the Wage Freeze Act. And then in the afternoon, an in-person announcement with the mayor over transit and sewage treatment plant funding deals. Those latter two announcements, a big deal for citizens of the city of Winnipeg. And a lot has been made, Loren, about tone, the words being used, like collaboration and the push to essentially hit the reset button on a bunch of different policies and relationships. So depending on how you're feeling, that might have you thinking, okay, there's room for a bit more optimism. Others might be a bit more cynical. But we've got lots of questions from both our listeners and ourselves this morning that we'd like to pose to Premier Heather Stephenson. Good morning, Madam Premier. Good morning. So uh, we're going to ask you a lighthearted question later about just to put in the back of your mind. We bring Brian Bowman on regularly, and and he has a song he likes to be played on with. So you can think about that for future interviews, uh, Premier. But right now, you know, on a serious note, whether it's the scrapping of Education Reform Act or this week the Wage Freeze Act, your party has basically done an about-face on several controversial issues, and that has some wondering whether this is an admittance that they were bad policies and bad ideas or just admitting that they were bad politics and, and people didn't like them. Is it, 
is it one or the other? I think it's just more about uh, having a, a fresh start to things. And so, you know, that's why today, actually, Bill, the bill will be introduced to, uh, to repeal the Public Services Sustainability Act. Um, you know, this is it's just a new process, a fresh start, uh, and, uh, you know, maybe sending a message out there that um, we're going to do things differently. So while doing things differently uh, would be uh, absolutely contrary to y- your predecessor, uh, Madam Premier, as you traveled to City Hall yesterday for that news conference with the mayor. Is there an agreement? You've already had coffee very publicly with Mayor Bowman. Is there an agreement to do this on a regular basis, to have combined and regularly scheduled meetings that the public is aware of, and as opposed to going back and forth with, you know, shots, barbs, and, and maybe a little bit of innuendo back and forth? Well, I, I think, you know, we don't even need to have, you know, um, specified meetings and, and this sort of thing. I mean, the mayor and I can text each other. We'll get together whenever we need to. There's lots of exciting things that we're doing you know, that we will be doing together. And uh, I know that first meeting that we had, uh, you know, our, our, my office was trying to get a hold of his office and we were setting up a meeting 10 days down the road. And I, I just texted him. I said, are, are you free for a coffee this weekend? Can we just get together? And so, you know, to me, that's, uh, you know, let's, uh, you know let, let's get some things done. I mean, yesterday, I think, was an example of how we can work together. And I think that's what Manitobans expect us to do. And, and I think that's uh, sort of the new, new approach that we're going to take. There's talk this morning of your government creating a regulatory body for education, the same kind of regulatory body that exists for doctors or other professions. So what's this move about? Why is this needed? Well, I know that uh, Minister Cullen will be out with uh, more details on on that later. But uh, obviously, you know, the education of our kids is one of the most important issues out there. And certainly when I was uh, traveling throughout Manitoba, you know, uh, listening to Manitobans, they were, I was hearing from them that they want a better education for their kids. I, I think we spend the most per capita across the country and we have among, you know, the, the worst results. That is not uh, what we want for our kids moving forward. And then I think it's something that uh, Manitobans want to see us move forward on. So I know Minister Cullen will be out uh, more details on that later today. If you were to list two files, you know, that were top priorities for Manitoba's education, I think would be right up there. You're correct on that. And of course, healthcare. And, and there was one line in the throne speech this week, really just one, on that the idea that your government would re-examine changes to rural health care. Uh, you know, the, the changes that we made within the city weren't popular by many people. And then, of course, the pandemic hit. What are you talking about with that? What kind of, where are you planning to hit pause in rural Manitoba? And could that extend to hitting pause to any further changes in Winnipeg? I don't think we're hitting pause at all. We actually are moving forward with our clinical preventative services plan. Um, that's critical. I think Manitobans in, in our rural and northern communities want access to health care closer to home. And so that's really what that uh, plan is about. Um, and uh, so, you know, we, we will be, but I mean, the thing is, we're going to take that out to Manitobans and talk to municipalities and make sure that, that everyone's aware and prepared with how we're going to move forward with it. Uh, Premier Stephenson, your opponent in the race to run the Progressive Conservative Party and be the leader of said party, um, is still fighting your win in court. What do you say to Manitobans who think your government shouldn't be making any promises or really doing anything um, until that court case is decided? 
I, I think Manitobans are expecting us to move forward with a plan, and that's exactly what we're doing. And having announced the uh, the throne speech uh, earlier this week, I think it outlines a number of priorities for Manitobans. And you know, we'll we'll continue to work and listen to and 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 hear from Manitobans as to to what they expect. So. You know, obviously, the, the court case is disappointing, um, but uh, this is this is not a time to pause at all. There's lots of work to be done, and we'll continue to do that uh, on behalf of Manitobans. Life, meanwhile, is uh, increasingly unaffordable. There's a new poll out this morning that shows 78% of Canadians are worried about rising costs. With many concerned, they might not be able to even feed their families. So we're curious, what is your your government going to do to address these kinds of concerns? Yeah, inflation is a concern. I mean, obviously not just for us in Manitoba, but across the country. Uh, affordability for Manitobans is, is a significant issue, and particularly, I think, for, for seniors who are on fixed incomes. And, and so these are obviously the very important issues that uh, as we move forward towards you know, a budget that we will be uh, presenting in the spring, these will be the issues that we'll have discussions about uh, around the cabinet table and with Manitobans. Before we let you go, I just want to ask, you know, circle back into to the idea that we talked about off the top about just trying to be more collaborative and listen to what Manitobans have to say. Do you understand and appreciate how some might feel slightly cynical towards that, given, you know, like, for example, the Wage Freeze Act was fought in court for months. The education reform bill, your education minister came out repeatedly to talk about how great it was, and then suddenly it wasn't so great anymore. And, and there were refusals by your predecessor to ever sit down with the mayor, and all of a sudden we're going to sit down with the mayor as much as possible. And some people might just say that you're just pandering for the votes rather than admitting that maybe some bad choices were made along the way. I'm not pandering to anyone. Um, I am listening to Manitobans, and uh, we heard loud and clear that they didn't want to move forward with Bill 64, particularly, you know, on the governance uh, structure side of things when it comes to education reform. So I think there's nothing wrong with, with listening, hearing Manitobans and taking action. And there's nothing wrong with admitting that, you know, maybe we didn't always get it right. And so that's, uh, you know, that's just where I come from. I don't particularly have a big ego or anything. I mean, if we, you know, we're not always going to get it right. And when we don't, I think it's, you know, it's time to say, okay, let's press uh, restart and, um, and, and take a new approach to things. Premier Heather Stephenson, this is the first time we've spoken to Manitoba's Premier on this program in a long time. So we appreciate you very much. Thank you. Thanks a lot. And it won't be the last time. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, reminder that we're giving away tickets for the Western Final, the CFL's Western Final, in our next segment based on your text messages on Standing in Line. We still have Rick Mercer tickets to give away. We'll do that in our 9.35 segment right after we speak to Rick Mercer. Oh, my. But uh, we also give away tickets for the tenors, Jeff Fortier. We just gave those tickets away. Who is the winner? Bev. And you know what? I apologize. I didn't. Ask her to pronounce her last name, but I'm going to try this. Hiddlebaugh. Okay. Well, Bev, congratulations. We've got one more pair of tickets to give away tomorrow on the start. Right now, we want to 
point out the fact that we love to highlight community organizations on the start and the work this next group just oozes community values. For over a decade, Brett, this organization has operated the largest and best equipped community bike shop in Western Canada and is an international leader in community biking programming. They utilize volunteer labor and bike parts reclaimed from the waste stream to create community bike programming aimed at educating youth, empowering volunteers, and providing people with affordable, sustainable, active transportation options, Loren. So here to tell us about their Cycle of Giving initiative is Kate Soberg, Executive Director of the Winnipeg Repair, Education, and Cycling Hub, or otherwise known as The Wrench. Good morning, Kate. Hi, you guys. How's it going? Wonderful. It's always so great to speak with you, as Greg said. Uh, but for those who just might not be familiar, let's just talk a bit about first the, the work that Wrench does, the how and the why. Yeah, so we have this amazing partnership with the city of Winnipeg where we take discarded bikes from Winnipeg's 4R sites, and then we use those bikes and parts to teach bike mechanics to anyone who wants to learn them. And over time, we've developed really strong relationships with dozens of schools throughout the city. Uh, Kids come and they came this past fall after a year of not doing it during the pandemic uh, to learn how to fix their own bike. And really, Earn a Bike is about uh, building up a bike from scratch And then the kids actually took their bikes home this past week after this season of Earn a Bikes along with a helmet. They'd had some safe riding uh, workshops outdoors, you know, uh, in this cold weather. And now they have those bikes to take home and they have some skills to keep them uh, well repaired. So that's like kind of the model that we use and it, it extends out to all groups of people. We train adults to fix their own bikes. We also offer really affordable or free repairs uh, every Thursday during our Thursday open shop in the afternoons. Uh, We have a kiosk at the Forks where we sell bikes every summer. Uh, So we're a really active uh, organization, but all of our bikes and parts come from discarded bikes from Winnipeggers. So it's, it's really cool kind of network and partnership. Now, I think many of us at one point in our lives have dreamt of or perhaps even asked Santa for a bike for Christmas. So how many of those wishes will come true thanks to Wrench? Well, a lot. Last year, we did over 600 bikes uh, during Cycle of Giving. And, you know, in the past, we we love to do a 24-hour party at Orioles Community Center where uh, amazing volunteers come in and we all uh, build bikes, fix bikes over a 24-hour period at the beginning of December, and then we give them out to our community partners uh, right before the holidays. Yeah, so so Santa plays a part in, uh, in uh, delivering these bikes. Uh, and so the past year and, and this year, we're doing a bit of a, uh, an amended model uh, to make sure we're all really COVID safe. Uh, we have a number of home builders and also community partner shops like uh, Natural Cycle and Bikes and Beyond who are taking bikes into their home shops to build bikes, uh, you know, in a socially distance way. And then we're locating kind of our muster point at Clifton Community Center. We'll, we'll be doing all the quality checking, just making sure that everything's fixed on the bike properly and it's shined up for delivery. And then we're delivering them out. And actually, our partners at uh, McDonald Youth Services are going to be helping with that delivery work. So that's a nice partnership as well. I know we've touched on this conversation with Anders in the past, uh, but just the value of a bike and what it can mean to certain people in our community. 
Kate, I know that uh, having a bicycle allowed me to get a job when I was 15 and allowed me to pick up other work all the way through 18. That was maybe, you know, not as close to home as it would be comfortable to walk or and much less expensive to, than taking a bus to work and, and time of day and all those issues involved. So just talk about the, the freedom, the economic impact that bicycles might have for young people uh, in our community. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. You know, I I often am answering the phone at the wrench, and I, especially over the pandemic, have received a number of calls from people who said, listen, like, I can't afford to buy a bike from a traditional shop, and I, I can't get to work unless I have one, or I'm going to need a bike to, to get a job or to maintain the job that I have. You know, people who lost their jobs over the pandemic and were, were really trying to get back on their feet. Uh, and, and similarly, we've had a number of kids over the past season say, like, listen, like, I, I want a better way to get to, to school or I've had to move schools over the past year and it's longer. And so, you know, I need a bike for transportation. Another thing that we're learning, though, and we've learned throughout our time is that we all know that we learn in different ways. And some of our, our programs in schools, and, and I was listening to a staff yesterday talk about our school, our program at Marymount. You know, one of their kids who has had such a hard time connecting with any of the school programs available at Marymount and, you know, has a lot of challenges with behavior, has really just uh, started to love the bike shop that we've been able to start in partnership with Marymount and is kind of just starting to show his true kind of creative colors and a lot of kind of affinity for the instructors working there and is, is brightening up. And so, um, you know, schools and really kids can benefit from a variety of supports, a variety of programs. And bike, bike programming really kind of livens some people up. It's something that some people really end up loving, the hands-on nature of it, the mechanical nature of it, and the practical nature of it. You get a product that you can use right out of your work. So, uh, yeah, we, we love seeing those results. Well, we appreciate you giving us a heads up about this. So what do we do if we want to help out, we want to get involved? So we are fundraising again this year. We need a bigger space. And so I'd encourage everyone to check out our incentives. Pat Lazo is the artistic director at Graffiti Gallery and a really well-known muralist and graffiti artist in Winnipeg. And he is decorating a bike that we're raffling off. Uh, And everyone who donates before... Tuesday, which is Giving Tuesday, we'll get a free, ent- not a free entry, but an entry with every um, every donation that comes in before Giving Tuesday uh, into the raffle for the bike draw. And that's going to be a really, really beautiful bike. We're really excited to see what he produces there. But there's a number of incentive packages with wrench gear. There's a ball cap. There's a shop apron that you can win. Uh, and uh, and we're excited to see what people think of uh, all of that gear. So I'd encourage people to check it out at therench.ca. We're also having a community party at Clifton Community Centre, uh, 1315 Strathcona on December 4th, starting at 4 p.m. There will be a race up Garbage Hill with uh, prizes as well as a community bike tour, uh, and there will be an outdoor fire with lots of snacks from Salisbury House and other sponsors. So uh, we're really excited about that party as well.
Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we have tickets up for grabs for the Western final on December 5th based on your text messages. We're talking about waiting in line. Like, just tell us a story about waiting in line somewhere. Like, a couple of runners up here before we read our winning text. Kevin says, my cousin and I were loser drunk at an NFL game in Minneapolis in 2001. We got in this long line for a beer at halftime and stood there for quite a while. So my cousin starts complaining and whining about getting a beer and how it's taking so long. And the very, shall we say, rural-looking American in front of us turns and says, Boy, use in line for the restroom. Why is this guy suddenly from the south? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way I imagined it. It is, too, when I read it. And I actually used to laugh when I lived in Toronto. We'd cross the border to go to hockey games in Detroit. And it felt like as soon as I crossed into America, I was suddenly hearing a whole different cadence. And I was like, I just went over a river. What has <laughs> yeah, happened here? I know, it's so Cadence weird. and twang, baby. It's just, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. It's an imaginary line. Boom. We had all kinds of text messages about waiting in line for concerts, like one from John here, Greg. Yeah, back in the day when you used to line up for concert tickets, I had to deal, or I had a deal, rather, with my uncle that I would camp out and he would buy me a ticket, sort of keep him company. We always used to camp out at the convention center. Hmm, sneaky good. We would be warming up in the foyer if it was cold or playing football in the deserted streets at 3 or 4 a.m. Those last couple of hours of fatigue vanished when the doors unlocked and the run or sprint up the <laughs> stairs to get to the first spot in line paid off. John, thanks for painting that incredible picture for us this morning. And our winning text, Loren, also has to do with getting a concert ticket. I just love this one. So if this is the note. As a brilliant teacher in 1976, I devised a plan to beat the line and get the Who tickets. In scouting, I noticed the security guard at Hargrave Street entrance to Eaton's was rather old and I could easily get past him, blowing through the huge line of kids waiting on the eighth floor. As the store was slowly opening after 8 a.m., I did just that. All went well as I rode up the escalators, chatting politely with employees. I installed myself in a tent display on the eighth floor and waited for the 9.30 opening bell. Sadly, shortly after 9, there was a loud clumping of shoes, followed by a check the tents. Needless to say, I was apprehended, escorted to the security office on the main floor. Shortly after 9.30, I was given a speech about trespassing and allowed to leave. I never got tickets, missed the concert, did get a somewhat unflattering mention in the newspaper the next day. I guess I should have just stood in line. <laughs> that is a text from Jeff. And Jeff, congratulations. You are going to the Western Final. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Reminder, the question of the day at cjob.com for credit aid. Struggling with debt? Call 204-987-6890 or creditaid.ca. And the question is, an Ipsos poll shows 78% of Canadians are concerned inflation will make everyday items less affordable. How concerned are you? So far, 65% say extremely 29% say somewhat, and 5% say not concerned. Cast your vote, cjob.com. We've also put that up on Twitter, at 680CJOB. We are super excited about this next segment because our next guest is a beloved Canadian comedian who retired his hugely successful TV show after 15 seasons and at the peak of its popularity. He is a stand-up comedian Pre-pandemic, he played to sold-out houses wherever he appeared. Brett, he is also an acclaimed author. The latest book, Talking to Canadians, a memoir. The author? 
Oh, come on. Let me try this again. <laughs> All right, let's try this again. Canadians love to travel. We love to visit somewhere nice. Actually, we spend $36 billion every year outside of Canada in search of nice. But that's okay, because under normal circumstances, millions of people from all over the world flock to Canada every year because we're nice too. In fact, according to a leading expert, that would be me, we're the nicest place on earth. We're good looking, I know that, we're super diverse, we're filled with amazing people doing incredible things, the food is great, and so are the adventures. The tourism industry is so important. It is responsible for 10% of the jobs in this country. If we just spend half of what we were going to spend out of Canada, in Canada, we can save that industry. And maybe your favorite restaurant too. So the time has come for us to explore our own backyard. And lucky us, it's a hell of an amazing yard. See for yourself, it's very easy to find. It's just uh, two provinces over or two towns down or two hours up the street, or anywhere in between. It's your own backyard, and I promise, what you'll find there is the time of your life. How nice is that? <laughs> A voice that needs no introduction, but we welcome to the start Rick Mercer. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, how are you? Oh, we're well. I, I love the, you know, talking about our good looks and how great we are. That audio, of course, is from a Tourism Canada campaign. Let's just, I think we'd like to start there because you have just been coast to coast to coast in this country. And I'm curious, as much as you went on about how much, how great Canada is, what do you truly like about Canadians? And maybe conversely, are there a couple of ticks we have that we should maybe shed? Well, I absolutely traveled the country nonstop for 15 years. It just didn't stop. And I never once got tired of it. I'm, I'm a good traveler, and it never bothered me being on the road all the time. And in that time, I covered an awful lot of it. There's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of differences. If you're in, if you're in Winnipeg and you're in small town St. John's or small town Newfoundland, there's going to be a lot of differences. But there's a lot of similarities. Canadians, by and large, they uh, they take care of one another. They're they're very community minded. Wherever you are in the country, they they can fall prey to. Uh, differences, east versus west, rural versus urban, all that kind of business. But when push comes to shove, when something bad happens in one part of the country, the entire country comes together and wants to help out. You just saw that with what's happening in British Columbia now. Everyone is everyone is looking to see how they can help. It's uh, it's it's a it's a good part of the Canadian psyche. Our colleague Clay Young yesterday shared a story with us about an interview that he did with John Candy back in 1991. Oh, cool. Yeah, he ended up getting Candy uh, to actually go into character, into one of his SCTV characters, and Clay actually said that it really put Candy at ease. You have interacted with so many celebrities, so many politicians. How did you get them to interact or play along with you? Uh, I... I have few skills, but I like to talk to people. I think, I think I'm pretty good at getting people to relax because it is true. Sometimes, especially on a show like mine, if uh, if uh, if a famous person, whether it be a politician or be it a musician or what have you, are on the show, it, it's outside of their comfort zone in many ways because that's not what got them to where they are. So they can be nervous, and sometimes that can come through. So I I came up with ways to make people relaxed. I think the biggest thing was they trusted me in the sense that they knew I wasn't going out to get anyone. There was no gotcha stuff going on. And sometimes those gotcha moments are 
they're the only the result that because people are nervous and suddenly they blurt something that they normally wouldn't blurt in an attempt to be funny and it's just something that would would not go over and so i just never ever put that stuff on tv speaking of blurting i feel as though i should ask if you have your christmas tree up yet rick of course i don't (laughs) (laughs) well one of the highlights near the beginning of your book and i'm enjoying it very much by the way uh, is the story of about how you and your brother acquired the family Christmas tree one year. Do you mind sharing oh, that yeah. story well, with us this morning? My, parent, my parents had this ridiculous tradition where the tree would go up Christmas Eve, and that's the classic Newfoundland thing. But by the time we came along when we were kids, we were like, this is absurd. And we were begging my parents, we need to get the tree, we need to get the tree. And my father said, okay, you go get the tree. So my brother and I, he was like seven, I was five or something, off we go with a saw looking for the tree, and we knew the rules. You had to cut in these certain meadows that was public land, crown land. You couldn't cut in private property. You couldn't cut near the road, all these things. And we just searched and searched and searched, and we just couldn't find the right tree, and we're walking home completely defeated. And we were walking up the street. My brother stopped and said, there it is. And we looked, and it was like the perfect tree, and it was the perfect tree. It was just glorious, except it was near the side of the road, and it was on the other side of a fence, and it was in someone's yard. (laughs) Not just someone's yard, my best friend's yard. (laughs) And my brother said, they'd never even miss it. Look, they got lots of trees. And then we convinced ourselves that they would not miss this tree, which is magical thinking at its best. It's so absurd. They planted the bloody thing. It wasn't even wild. So over the fence we go. We cut this tree down. We drag it up the street. And the whole time we were going up the street, anytime a car came by, we would jump in the ditch like soldiers, you know, and panting, <laughs> panting. The car would go on. Then we brought it up. Anyway, Mom thought, oh, that's the best tree ever. And it was. It was glorious. And the tree goes up, and I start getting racked with guilt. I'm just, I can't, I can't sleep. I'm hysterical. A couple of days go by. It's Christmas Eve. We walk into the house, and the people who own the house that the tree belonged to are in my living room having a cup of tea with mom and dad. My brother's giving me the international symbol for it. Don't say a word or I'll kill you. You know, to strike us off the neck. And then... And they're, they're just talking, and I, I can't breathe. I'm like, I'm, I'm dying inside. And then Mr. says, Ken, has anyone ever cut a tree off your land? Some, some yabos cut a tree right off our, our lawn. And my mother reacts like it's the most the biggest crime of the century. She's like, good God, who would do such a thing? And the tree is right there next to them, decorated. And... I just thought they know. They know they're torturing me. And then eventually they stood up and said, well, Merry Christmas. We'll see you again. And they left. And I never to this day know whether or not they knew. And in fact, in writing this book, I had to confess. So I had to call up like a woman in her 80s and tell her, by the way, that was me who cut the tree down. And she didn't say much. And then I said, I'll drop off a book to you. And I dropped the book off to her, but still. They're not letting on whether they knew or not. <laughs> I feel like the irony of dropping off a book made from paper, cut from trees, when you stole a tree, like there's something in there. And you did you ever ask in terms of just like, hey, by the way, did you figure that out? Did nobody, your parents didn't know? No one? No, my parents didn't find out until we were. I was in my 20s. I happened to mention to my brother, remember the time we cut the tree off the Greensland? And mom and dad were like, you did what? <laughs> they were horrified. <laughs> you know, you that way. 
Rick, you're and no my brother as well, when I told him it was in the book, he was like, no, we promised it, that we'd take that to our grave. <laughs> oh, wait, you didn't <laughs> tell like, the brother you, you were, were doing nine. this. <laughs> it's not like we robbed a gas station. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Did he, sorry, did he, you told him before the book came out or has he just, did he read it in the book? I just told him it was in there. <laughs> and you know the great thing, Rick, is I read that on, on the plane uh, a couple of weeks ago, and the way you just told it now is exactly how it banged around in my head. So, well, good. You That's know, good. I think the entire book is that way, and, and thanks for sharing uh, some incredible insight and just being you. We, we appreciate it very much. I wish we had more time with you. Okay. Well, I hope people enjoy the book. There's a lot of fun stories in there. There's a lot of stuff. A lot of TV shows created. Talking to Americans was a lot of fun to write. Well, Talking to Canadians, a memoir written by Rick Mercer. Thank you very much for joining us. What a pleasure. Thank you. Have a great day. And we have tickets to give away for Rick Mercer hosting Just for Laughs Comedy Night in Canada. Friday, May 13th, Burton Cummings Theatre. There is a presale on for another 10 minutes or so at Ticketmaster. The code word is NIGHT. And then tickets on sale tomorrow at 10 a.m. But we're going to give away those tickets right now. We'll say call number 6, 204. Caller 6? 204. I... Go ahead, Loren. No, you go. You have to give up. This is way more important than anything I have to say. This is well, a good book. The line's already full, so it's okay. The line, the phone lines are jammed. Call number six. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think we have our next having coffee segment. So the the secret you've carried with you for decades. Oh boy! And finally disclosing it. The right. fun ones. Is that you know, for the tomorrow? Ones, yeah, I don't know. At any time, <laughs> I, the, the the confessionals you find yourself making twenty. Remember when I said I was out with my friend that night? I was not out <laughs> with my friend that night. Okay. Definitely tomorrow. There's your homework for tomorrow. That's what we'll talk about for tomorrow. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.